Hello and a very warm welcome as you join us and thank you for tuning in to Search for Truth. This is your Bible study radio program which has been sharing Christian Bible teaching for well over 30 years now on Transworld Radio and we have many long-standing loyal listeners. So thank you for joining us. Now if you've been following this series you'll know we're considering five dimensions of the love of God and in our penultimate talk today Brian's dipping into the wide subject of God's love for his children. But perhaps that needs some definition. So I'll hand you over now to Brian to define what it means by his children. Thanks, John. We'll come to that certainly in a moment. God is love is a true statement, one which is found in the Bible. But we also often hear it said that God loves everybody just the same. Now, that's not found in the Bible, nor is it true except perhaps in the sense of God's providential love. We've seen how God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. True, the word love is not used there, but from that verse it can be seen that God treats all his moral creation equally in terms of his caring provision of sun and rain in order to make their crops grow. Surely we'd say, on that basis, God treats everyone in the same loving way. But that's not the whole story, and we'll see that there are very strong biblical reasons why we can't make any absolute claim that God loves everybody the same, certainly not one which would imply salvation for all. It's true, as we learned from our previous study, that God loves the world with a love that encompasses the whoever among all of humanity. We'll find that in John chapter 3 and verse 16, of course. And yet, from other equally clear Bible verses, we definitely get the clear sense that God loves some more than others. For example, take the short reading from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Deuteronomy and concerns God's selection of the people of Israel to be his special people in Old Testament times. It addresses the issue of why did God choose them and not some other people? Moses says to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It seems from that that there was no distinguishing feature in the object of God's love. Love like that is unusual, to say the least, by human standards. Sometimes it's hard for us to think beyond the boy-meets-girl kind of romantic love. Isn't it always true that something about the other person impresses us, even if our attraction is not based on anything as shallow as is usually portrayed by Hollywood? Love that last will surely have to be based on more than the sparkle in the other's eyes, for likely that will fade with time. But even if our love is based on the appealing personality or even the character of the other person, that still becomes the feature which, in our eyes at least, distinguishes them from all others. 
But our text from Deuteronomy states that God wasn't impressed by any of Israel's credentials. We are told that God set his affection on them for no other reason than he loved them. This divine love for his people was an uncaused love, at least as far as it not being caused or brought about in any way by the object loved, namely Israel. Indeed, since God knows the beginning of a thing from its end, he already knew about the treachery this people would be guilty of committing against him. But not even that could deter him from loving them. In fact, God goes out of his way in the Bible to show us that his love, in this sense, is not performance-related. The Apostle Paul pinpoints this key principle in operation at the time of the birth of Jacob, who would become renamed as Israel, and from whose twelve sons the twelve tribes of that nation were to descend. Paul, writing by the Spirit of God, had this to say in Romans chapter 9, verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it's written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. With this, the last book of the Old Testament is in agreement. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Who would have thought the subject of God's love could be so difficult? We might have suggested God's knowledge, or even his justice or wrath as being the really difficult subjects. But because God's love must be consistent with all of God's attributes, it shares in their difficulties too. God's love is a challenging subject. It's made so clear that God's preferential love for Jacob, the younger son born by Rebekah, was not based on him being a more likeable boy. The cause of God's love did not lie in Jacob. In fact, the narrative as it follows Jacob into manhood reveals major character flaws in this object of God's love. Despite that, God says, Jacob I loved. Once again, the consistent message is that there's no distinguishing feature in the thing loved. God simply sets his affection on chosen ones in a way he doesn't on others. Jacob was chosen, Esau wasn't. Now, I want us to come to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And then Paul goes on to say, clearly in its context, in the flow of the letter, this is to the same ones he's described as being chosen in Christ. He goes on to refer to them as Christ's church, fully known biblically as the church which is his body. And this is what he's got to say to them. Now in chapter 5, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, God loves, and Christ died for the world in a real sense, as we've previously seen in our studies. But in a different sense, God loves, and Christ died for believers in the Lord Jesus, those who by God's choice become his children. It's not the extent of God's love or even the extent of Christ's sacrifice that matters in these two cases of God's love for the world and Christ's love for his church, but it's the intent behind each that differs. God's desire for the salvation of all in the world and his will for his children to be saved have different intents, but they both express his love. You see, there's a true biblical sense in which Christ, God's Son, died for all, for absolutely everybody. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 speaks of how Jesus Christ died for the sins of all believers. And then he adds, but also for the whole world. But equally, there's a real biblical sense in which he died for his people, his own, his sheep. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, we read, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't die with the intent of saving everyone from their sins. That's what I mean when I say there was a sense in which Christ died for the world and a different sense also found in the Bible in which he died for all who believe on him. And it's the second sense that Ephesians chapter 5 is dealing with. God's chosen children, Christ's church, are the ones for whom he loved and died for, such that he's made them holy through his death and cleansed them which is effective when the preaching of God's word is responded to in salvation. If Jesus is your personal saviour, rejoice in his love today.
Perhaps you already know that there's a transcript booklet of all the talks in this series and it's free to receive. So if you'd like one or more than one for group Bible study or to pass on to a friend, make sure to let us have your postal address and as for the title, God's Five Loves. Now, you can also download our booklets via the internet or you can order by email or by post. So first, I'll give you the postal address. It's Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester LE5 6LN UK. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, if you prefer, you can download audio MP3 versions of some past programmes or listen to more again via the podcast player on your computer. Uh, but go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Uh, this is our church website where you can also access additional helpful material. Now, some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and there you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programmes. Now, it's been a pleasure to enjoy your company today. Uh, thanks very much for being with us and join us next week, if you can, for the final talk in this series when we'll be looking at God's conditional love for Christian believers. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you.